Welcome to In the Spotlight. This is a podcast brought to you by the Guild of HR Professionals in association with Lace Partners. and welcome to the latest In the Spotlight. This is a podcast brought to you by the Guild of HR Professionals and my name is Chris Howard. I'm your podcast host today uh, and I work for a company called Lace Partners and we support the, the Guild of HR Professionals on these podcasts. So today's podcast is a focus on well-being. Uh, it's a topic that we've been talking about quite a lot at Lace but actually also within the Guild as well and certainly we've we've had a couple of podcasts that we've done but we wanted to, uh, to get a, an insight today from a couple of very seasoned practitioners, experienced people in this field and who have a passion for well-being as well. Uh, so joining me, I've got Mark McLean, who is Head of Diversity, Inclusion and Wellbeing at MNG, and he's also a Commissioner at the Equality and Human Rights Commission. And I've also got Nikki Squelch, who is Head of Volunteering at NCT. First of all, ladies first, Nikki, hello, how are you doing? Hello, I'm very well, how are you? Not too bad, not too bad, considering as we were just saying, the sun is out and at the time of recording we're due for at least two weeks worth of unbridled sunshine, so it means I can Which, get my shorts out, so that's great. Yeah, just fills me with joy. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> and Mark, how are you doing? You alright? I'm well, Chris, thank you. I, I'd also like to put a plug in for Nikki because she is one of the first graduates of the Guild of HR Professionals Leadership Program, and I had the great opportunity to meet Nikki through that program. So maybe we can ask her at some point what she got out of the program. I know that it's not a well-being question, but it is really in support of the Guild and why, you know, being a member of the Guild brings opportunities like we're doing today with the podcast, but even greater depth in a career. So I hope we can uh, get some insights from Nikki. Well, why don't we start with that then? And then we'll get on to the well-being. So Nikki, just give us a flavor then of, um, of your experience. Um, so I, I actually think it is a complete link to um, well-being program. Um, I think that, you know, your self-esteem and your self-worth and your core values and what motivates you, you can sometimes lose way during your career. And the, the opportunity that the leadership program gave me was to actually remember what my core values are, remember what my core power, purpose is, and to really focus in on that. There was a real lot of um, work and insight brought to the program from from people like yourself, Mark. I mean, I was so inspired by that first one. I was like, well, I'm not missing another masterclass. It was so good. And, you know, you sit there and you think about how people present and uh, the stories that they tell and how they tell those stories. And it really does help you develop your full self and your full potential. So I think there is a complete link to making the decision to apply for it because I don't think I am the usual person who would apply for a HR leadership program because of my volunteering program uh, background. I mean, I, I lead people, but I don't necessarily do it in a way that focuses on pay and benefit and the normal HR operational sort of stuff. I still have to take into consideration all the things that, you know, we need to in a regulated environment, but, you know, leading people through their their hearts and minds to provide us with, you know, ultimately acts of service is very 
a non-traditional HR model, but one that has a huge amount of value even now as we head into the COVID thing. You've seen the, the sort of the people and organisations out there, including companies who are, you know, calling on an army of volunteers to help them with testing and respond to, to crisis. So, yeah, I'm not your usual candidate. Um, so I had to overcome my old imposter sy- syndrome to apply. And honestly, it was the best decision I ever ever made for myself that's uh, you have to be you have to be careful with me i could wax lyrical about it oh no that's absolutely <laughs> fine that's absolutely fine and i think it's important to point out actually this podcast is designed to provide advice and guidance and the and show showcase some of the experience some of the professionals that work within the guild but actually it's it's a learning platform it's an opportunity for people to get together and it's a collaborative as well that's what i've certainly been hearing and since i've found out about the guild it's it's all about collaboration it's about people getting together and sharing that collective that knowledge as well so so let's go on to uh, let's talk let's talk well-being then and mark we'll start with you then i'll give you a nice open question to uh, to start us off with today's podcast well-being in general so talk to me about how you think in your opinion it's changed from perhaps a year ago, two years ago, to right now. And I think it's particularly pertinent, again, at the time of recording. We are still in lockdown. We've been in lockdown for however long. We'll be in lockdown for however long. But, yeah, just give us a bit of a flavor as to how you think it's sort of changed and adapted. So that's two separate questions. How it's changed is it hasn't been, Chris, right? Mm-hmm. What's changed is our delivery. So it's that adaptation. Well-being hasn't changed. What happened through the current pandemic is we've become more aware, right, on an individual basis, why well-being is so important. And I think going back to what Nikki said, we're also redefining what does that mean for us as individuals? So as an organization, how do you start to address well-being when there's so much to address? Well, from an organizational standpoint, we took on mental health and well-being long before the COVID uh, crisis. What we what we did is, as soon as we started to put people working remotely, to start to recognize that the pressure, the external pressure around the pandemic, was going to heighten right individuals' need for for resources associated with mental health and well-being. As we got deeper into the isolation, what we recognize is we have to address each individual colleague's circumstances. Now, you might be sitting there listening to this and thinking, yeah, you just can't do that on an organizational basis. Well, actually you can't. And it's really about understanding sort of the market segments. So as we went into lockdown, and what I did was I stepped back and said, how do we take the resources we have that we've traditionally thought of as being in-person delivery to start to make them virtual. That's going to take a bit of time. What do I start to deliver to my colleagues immediately, uh, those online resources that we have available? And how do I make them uh, make them more aware of what's available? So we started, again, with mental health and well-being. We started to remind colleagues what resources were available. We have colleagues who are skilled up in the talk it out technique. And that's no similar than what we're doing today, right? A couple of colleagues getting together and having a chat. What's bothering you? What's worrying you? How can we assist? And really, it should be, instead of talk it out, it should be called the listen technique because that's what it's meant to be. Mental health first aiders. Well, we've reminded our colleagues that we have mental health first aiders. 
At the same time, I reached out to our partners at Nuffield and said, look, we are able to provide cognitive behavioral therapy at our facility. Do you have an online capability? Well, we do. We're ramping it up. So now we have online cognitive behavioral therapy sessions. And what we've done is we've looked at what's available today that we can immediately remind colleagues of. And what we're doing is we're building a new platform so that when we come out of COVID-19, we are as an organization looking at how do we hold on to the goodness that's come from this? How do we hold on to the reduction in the carbon footprint? How do we hold on to remote working now that we've broken down this paradigm of, well, you can't do that job unless you're in the office. Well, everybody knows that's no longer going to be valid for almost 99.99% of the job. Then as I have colleagues and myself included working remotely, and we've gone from in-home cognitive behavioral therapy sessions and in-house yoga and Zumba to having a virtual offering, how do we now have a hybrid? So if I decide I'm going to work from home two days a week or three days a week and the balance at the office, I've gotten used to doing yoga with my colleague early morning on my computer at home. Why would that stop now? So what it's done is it's forced us into a new delivery model. It hasn't changed. It's given us an opportunity to customize what well-being looks like and deliver it in a way that, to what Nikki said earlier, addresses how she looks at well-being to how I look at well-being to how you look. And I, and I would encourage every or anyone listening to this podcast to think in those terms, thinking in terms of the right now delivery and how that fits into a future model, not or. Okay. So as we're coming out of this pandemic, we don't, again, have to start over. You're always building for the future. Yeah. And I mean, I totally agree with everything that you, you, you've said there, specifically like coming up with hybrid models for the future. So the, uh, the NCT, about 50% of its workforce is home-based anyway. And uh, I think it was two years ago when I introduced the, the first wellness week, and the challenge was really, well, how do we make sure that those home-based workers really felt fully included and that they weren't forgotten? Because we knew that there was always, you know, engagement issues with the different uh, different cohorts and stakeholders within within the organisation. So, you know, you know, finding a home-based worker and saying, this is what we're thinking and doing. This is, you know, how we're thinking we're going to theme the week. You know, we're going to do in our offices Monday movements, which is going for a walk. And, you know, noticing what we see around us and talking with our friends. What do you think a home-based person would do? It absolutely encouraged them to go to a walk, take a photo and share it on our digital channels. And so we kind of made sure that every themed event that we had, there was a real opportunity to include those home-based workers. And I think being hybrid and making sure that you're always thinking about where people are, what they're comfortable with doing and how you can feed that into them being healthy and happy in the workplace, wherever that place may be, is going to be our area where we can get really creative. Yeah. I'm not going to call it a challenge. I'm going to call it a space of creativity that we can we can join together and share like like this. Yeah. 
Yeah. So, Nikki, what's the reaction been like from some of the activities? And actually, the same question to Mark, but I'll ask, ask Nikki first. What's the reaction been from the business to some of the changes or some of the things that you've been implementing? Um, huge amount of appreciation, actually. So when uh, we kind of had the, the meeting of uh, no one comes into the office tomorrow, um, everyone has to start using MS Teams. Huge amount of change for us that we would have had a lot of lead in time about how we get everyone ready. We had none of that. So, you know, I personally sat down and thought, actually, people don't always cope well with tra- change. What can we do to support people to do that? I'm really privileged in my role that we have a network of 900 practitioners, many of who are yoga practitioners and um, have done meditation and mindfulness. So I just did a shout out to them and said, would anyone do as a recorded meditation? And I've got three people volunteer for it. So they were happy to do it live for people and they were happy to record it that we could go in. So we saved that in our MS channel. So that was Monday's mindfulness. Tuesday, you know, we went into another theme, Tuesday Time to Talk, which is building on Mark's listening circle. So getting Zoom and saying, you don't have to do it. Everyone's working differently. You're still figuring out your routine around the kids are at one end of the table, you're at the other, you're trying to do both, but it's here for you for those who want to join it at this time. So we just kept on trying to do that. The, the biggest success I would have been would, was Friday and it took a little while to get off, but I, in, in the kind of the wellness channel, I set up a Friday gratitude group, which was just to say to people, you know, we've had a hard week this first week. Mm. why don't you shout out and thank someone who has helped you get through it? They could have unlocked some of your thinking. They could have called you at a time when you needed to connect with someone. Just shout out. And honestly, when people actually saw that that gratitude was group was there, they didn't just use it on Friday. They just continually showed their gratitude to people in that group. And, And I think it was just a great way of building that sense of connectivity and collectivity when you're remote. Mm. And Mark, from your perspective. So I, I think what I'd love to do is build a little bit on what uh, Nikki was saying, right? And that is ask. Ask colleagues what they need. When you hear them, then be able to answer the question. So we heard right from the start that, you know, we all work on Surface Pros. Surface Pros have... a very small screen, a small keyboard. They're meant to be a tablet, a computer, and be able to, you know, go with you. And we asked our colleagues to give us some time to take a look at how long this lockdown was going to be, right? We addressed colleagues' uh, needs who needed reasonable adjustments immediately, those who had already registered and we knew what they needed. But where we've gotten to as an organization is our colleagues know we're listening. So a lead time into being able to deliver is fine because they know the delivery is coming. And some perfect examples of that was with our technology, we have just implemented a colleague credit with one of our vendors where if you want to get a monitor, if you want to get a, an ergonomic keyboard or a mouse, here's what's available to you because we know coming out of this, we're going to encourage even more home working, right? So again, we're addressing the needs now, but we're setting up for the future. Uh, anxiety around holiday, right? A lot of people probably listen to this, wouldn't even think of holiday as being a well-being issue. But right now, it's very much a well-being issue. 
because what do I do with my holiday and where do I go on holiday? And we're so used to all going to an airport, right? Or getting on a train and going somewhere. And that doesn't exist. We've done two things. We've gone back to colleagues and said, we hear you. We're going to allow rollover for the next two years. So now you exhale, right? And you think, I'm not going to lose holiday. What if I bought extra holiday? Roll it over for two years, okay? What we've encouraged everyone is we don't want everyone to take holiday all in fourth quarter this year. So that eliminates that issue and that burden. And again, from a well-being standpoint, it gives you a moment to pause. Now, we are also encouraging people to take holiday for the reason of being able to shut down, tune out, turn off your Surface Pro, and walk away. If it's just to the back garden, if it's to decide to paint the lounge, which doesn't sound like much of a holiday, but it's not email, it's not being plugged in, and we as senior leaders are doing exactly that. So at Easter, we all signed up to take a few days on either end of the Easter holiday. Our CEO is on holiday this week, and we let everyone know that John has taken holiday for the over-the-bank holiday. We all extended for a few days to, again, encourage colleagues to shut down. So I think the interesting part of the conversation we're, we're, we're having today is it's it, none of this is new. It's adapting what we already do to the current situation and bringing in new aspects of what we had already done. And I think if you start to think in those terms, you think of well-being and wellness in a whole different way. Instead of it being a strategy, instead of it being a program, it's really about how do we adapt the workplace to meet the needs of our colleagues, even from a technology standpoint, right? We're, we're doing technology for all workshops. Just highlighting, and Nikki, it was when you said about uh, Microsoft Teams. We're on the Office 365 platform. We're using Teams, but there's also so much accessible accessibility built into Office 365 that, again, just helping colleagues be more productive from home is a well-being opportunity because it takes away the concern, the stress, Am I going to be as productive as I thought I was being in the office? You've got to proof point that for colleagues. So it's not just the traditional well-being classes. It's also in the day-to-day and looking at ways to uncover and unlock that. Mm. Yeah, there's something that you said there, Mark, which has kind of um, rung a bell in my head around the the proof point of, you know, the working from home and the whole myth busting that, um, we, you know, we're going through that people at home aren't always working at home or they're, you know, they're slackers or they're, they're not as productive. Um, but some of the stuff that I'm he- hearing is that they've never worked harder before. They yeah. don't know how to find that off switch. So yeah. I think, you know, strong leadership and messaging around that is important. But I think when you're in a state of uncertainty, there's anxiety that comes along with that. To what extent do you think you can kind of reassure people that 
just because we can't see you doesn't mean we've forgotten you or just because we can't see you doesn't mean that, you know, when, when we're coming to, to restructure or plan the future recovery of the organisation, that you're not the one who is going to be put at risk because you weren't doing the 14-hour days at home, mm. you know, when you were visual, visually online all the time, you know, like what, what, what role does HR have for that? I don't think HR has that role. That's a leadership role. Uh, HR is here to support leaders in being able to deliver against the business. HR doesn't deliver for them. And I think mm -hmm. having, first of all, that conversation with leaders and giving them the confidence that they have to stay even more connected with their teams today than they ever have. I think the beauty of what we're going through is for those individuals who worked remotely before, maybe one day a week, if you were in the meeting and your connectivity wasn't great, you sort of got the, oh, we'll brief you on Monday when you're in yeah. the office. Don't worry about it. There's no more Monday. Mm -hmm. So our etiquette around video calls like we're on today, right, or conference calls is we wait. We make sure everyone's connected. We make sure everyone's in the room, okay? That has to start to build some confidence. The second piece is, look, you, you said maybe a restructure. You never know if you're not part of the restructure team. So my advice to anyone is continue to do your best, continue to deliver, and be confident in where you're going. And that's the best you can do. Now, the flip side to that is what we talked about, about not shutting off. For leaders, you've got to role model what it is you're expecting. Okay? If you're sending emails at 10 o'clock at night, don't be surprised at 10.30 somebody responds, okay? And, and this is long before we went into this pandemic and, and, and being all remote working. I have coached senior leaders for years, okay? That if you like doing your email in the evening before you go to bed, put them in your drafts and send them the next morning. I'm not telling you when to work, I'm helping you to realize how you work sets the stage for everyone else. So if you're sending emails at all hours, then people are going to work all hours. If you stop at five or six in the evening and you don't start until the next morning, you also signal to colleagues that it's okay to stop. Now that doesn't mean we don't work weekends. Yeah, some days we do, right? Sometimes there are 12 hour days, but that can't be every day. Mm. And that goes back to role modeling from senior yeah. leaders. That has nothing to do with HR, okay? The guidance is all there. The delivery and the intent is up to each individual leader. Mm. And right now, probably the most difficult thing, I think, for colleagues looking at leaders is thinking leaders don't go through the same level of stress and anxiety that you do because they're senior leaders. And I think just colleagues also have to realize that senior leaders are under the same level of pressure and there's got to be a bit of uh, give and take. And that's just more from a general culture, I think, standpoint and understanding. Mm. And I think that, you know, that's totally recognizing that no matter what role you do in an organization, you're still human <laughs> and you have human needs and that, you know, we are driven by, you know, similar things in life. Um, one of the things that I've been wondering about is the, the kind of definition of well-being, you know, being a state of being comfortable, being healthy and happy. 
and that happiness stuff and, you know, looking at the work that, um, is it Richard Layard does at um, LSE um, around, you know, happiness index and, and so forth. How important do you think, Mark, it is for us to create cultures of happy workplaces so go beyond well-being or seeing well-being as a place where people are happy to wake up in the morning and go Woo-hoo, I'm working today I, I I don't know that I would call it happiness right mm-hmm. I think that's something that each individual has to define I think as a workplace we have to understand what helps drive that emotion and that is being recognized not being passed over and not having to go look for myself in an organization, but seeing myself in an organization. So what does that look like right now? Uh, In the beginning of the lockdown, I had colleagues come to me and say, Mark, we need need something around working at home with children, right? Because working working remotely was I could do the school run, and then I came home and I had hours of time and then I went back and did the school run in the afternoon. But today, everybody's in the house at once. And we started to deliver some of those resources and messaging. And then a couple of weeks in, I had some, a co- colleague or two come to me and say, Mark, doing ama- we're doing amazing work around working remotely with children. What about those of us who are at home alone? I don't have an off switch like you do right now i have the, the great fortune and it's myself my my partner carlos and our dog so after this right i can shut down all the technology go downstairs and i have someone to sit and talk to you know unload on the day how was the day go out in the garden but i have colleagues who are at home alone and mm-hmm. what they were saying was it's easier to work to distract myself than to not So we've just done a great body of work called Alone But Not Lonely and really addressing the needs of individuals who are at home alone and helping managers realize that this tool can be used across the whole team. And I think this idea of happiness is that an organization recognizes my needs. And that for me is about, you talk about employee engagement in HR, right? It's brand alignment. It's, are you delivering a product for me as a colleague, like you would deliver a product for our consumers? Mm. Do you understand what my needs are? And I go back to, you have to listen to understand Mm. what the need is. Then you have to address it. We have to be less concerned with the uptake and more concerned with the impact that addressing those needs is having, Mm -hmm. right? So just knowing I'm being recognized knowing that I'm part of the conversation, knowing there's resources for me when I need them starts to deliver that idea of happiness, right? Of do I want to continue to work for this organization? Do I feel a part of it? Now, we ran a COVID-19 survey Uh about, about two weeks ago to exactly do that. Ask those questions. How are we doing? Where can we improve? And what we did was the week after the results, we came back and said, here's what you said we're doing well. And quite honestly, we were all somewhat positively surprised with how well we were doing from a communications and delivery standpoint. And then we said, here's some areas where you said we could do better. Here's what we're doing, right? We didn't wait. This goes back to what you said 
earlier on, Nikki. This is the probably the biggest transformation, not studies, not the right word, but this is probably the biggest transformation program every single company has gone through simultaneously, which had we started to predict this six months ago, the number of committees and PowerPoint presentations and spreadsheets that would have been developed to try to anticipate an outcome. And what we have just done in the last, what, eight, nine weeks is mm -hmm. we have taken the idea of agile working and put it into practice without one scrum, one whiteboard, there's no post-it notes. And I say all of that with a bit of a chuckle because what it's done is it's showed us the intent of being agile and what we can deliver as an HR function to the needs of the organization, how quickly we can, how innovatively we can. And really my challenge going forward is not allowing us to go back. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so they're not going back. You know, the first thing that, uh, you know, we were chuckling around, no whiteboards and no post-it notes. And I have to say, I love those sessions. I love the ideation and the energy. And so mm -hmm. not going back for me would create some anxiety. I would love oh. to have those blended opportunities to be able to say, okay, we can do this rapidly and fast. We don't have to, you know, overwork it. So where's the hybrid? Where's the middle ground there? That was my intent and you articulated it really well, right? Yeah. When I said let not go back, not go back to the length of time it took us to deliver. Right? Using the tools, you know, in Microsoft Teams, we can do that today. There's virtual whiteboards, there's ideation. We do need FaceTime, right, to be together. But what we've got to remind ourselves is the output is more important than the process. And even from a well-being standpoint, I think we got caught up in the process and the delivery of the process versus the delivery of the intent, which was product that colleagues could use when and where they needed to use it. Mm -hmm. So when I say don't go back, the PowerPoint, the length of the PowerPoint presentation isn't as important as the output and the intent. And if we can hold on to that, I think to your point, we would get more out of the ideation sessions, right? Yeah. And, and less about, you know, what category and what, like, those are all tools. Those are all tools, but sometimes the process becomes more interesting than the output right now. The output has really been valuable, right? So look, if, if, if I had said we wanted to do virtual yoga classes and virtual Zumba classes and uh, CBT therapy online, and that would have taken, well, in my case, it wouldn't have taken as long because I tend to go and get them done and then show the positive impact afterward. But in most organizations, it, it go, you, you go through such a process and so many committees that what we're finding now is, as an HR function, let's answer the question, do a pilot, see what works and doesn't work, and then bring the positive impact back through sort of the committee structure. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the, the kind of um, the saying that 
went through my head as you spoke was yeah, proceed until apprehended um, yeah, and because because you'll be learning you'll be agile and learning see. along the way and and you'll come up with a really solid business case which yeah. you know has already tested all the concerns that people might throw into the room yeah. seek yeah. seek forgiveness <laughs> don't ask for permission i think that's the uh, yes. phrase, isn't it <laughs> and use the word pilot right people love pilots it doesn't concern anyone no one gets really over-egged about we're going to run a pilot and try something. And then a pilot becomes a firm-wide initiative yeah. because you have a positive out outcome. And, and I think going forward as, as a function, doing more of that, right, and not asking everyone what they need, but just understanding, right, sort of the target marketing approach, asking your constituency, you don't need input from everyone. Get it to get the piece together, pilot it, test it, and through this, the current environment in which we were working, and that's exactly what we did. Some things were are completely brand new mm. in their delivery, but we tested it, we tried it, and now we're scaling up. Yeah. So I've got a question for both of you guys, actually. Is it because well-being has been driven essentially by necessity to the top of the corporate agenda, by business's agenda? And after we get back to some form of normality, do you see it staying there? Because businesses have been forced, haven't they, effectively to, to start looking at, I don't want to say, don't want to say they've been forced because some businesses seem very, very proactive. Like Mark, you've been talking about how proactive your business was, but how maybe it took a little bit longer sometimes to get these things through. Whereas now everyone's almost forcing it. Well, no, you know, we need to do this sort of stuff because we're recognizing the impact, the mental and the physical impact this is, you know, this current situation is having. So driven to the top of the agenda as a result of COVID and and do you see it staying up there for businesses afterwards when we all get back to normal? Well, I think it will. And I think the reason is it's not that it's been driven to the top of the agenda for the organization. It's been driven to the top of the agenda for every individual. Yeah. Right? We're in a very different place. And we're looking at what is our health and well-being. You know, we, we talk about going back to the office at some point. We, we've coined the future of work. At M and G, and we we launched that last week. It's this beginning dialogue and conversation about what the future of work will and can look like. We were talking about well-being, and I said we're taking an approach around well-being to each individual colleague's needs. That's what the future of work is going to be like. So it's not going to be different. It's going to be integral into what we do, and just even recognizing right. There's the three of us today that if we all worked in the same organization and next week said, okay, we're going to open an office and we're going to get to start to go back. But I might say, but I'm not going to put my partner's health at risk. So I can't go out. And then Chris, if you're my manager, what are you going to say to that? This is where well-being is taking on a whole different conversation and dialogue because it's been driven to the top of our agendas individually. Our expectations of organizations is going to be, will you right, be able to fulfill the needs I have without putting me personally at rest? There's never been a time in my life where something has become so personal to every single individual. And that's what's going to drive the agenda moving forward. And I don't think you're going to see that change. Um, I, I agree. Um, I guess that, you know, the question is, has well-being 
being driven to the top of the agenda. I wouldn't say it was exactly well-being, but I think that there that there's a heightened awareness of it. So for necessarily for the the charity sector, um, I think that the approach in my organisation and the previous two I worked for, it was always quite organic and sometimes couched in access, participation, inclusion, agenda. You know, the, the, the question is, what would make you feel welcome here? And therefore, mm. from that question, we would get into, well, what makes people feel, feel well and what mm. makes them feel welcome? So, you know, it was that kind of approach before. Um, I think really the charity sectors work on increasing awareness on the impact of mental health overall is what's really driven it over the last few years you know just i think of the week of lockdown um was it uh, first aid england mental health first aid england were launching their campaign my whole self you know, saying that, you know, I want to bring my whole self to work and recognising, you know, there's stats of one in five, seeing all the kind of initiatives and campaigns out there, like it's Mental Health Awareness Week now, yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's that stuff, the external stuff that has brought it to the agenda within our, within my organisation. I don't necessarily think it's been the COVID crisis that has brought it there. Mm. I think as, an, as a business unit, Right, I won't call HR a function because we've got to start to think of ourselves as a business unit and delivering alongside the business, not, not a supporting function. That, really, that, that That's a whole different uh, blog we can run mm-hmm. on that side. But <laughs> as, as a business unit, I think we have a, a unique opportunity to remind leaders what they were capable of during this period of time. So we talk about driving, well-being, inclusion, culture. We have the opportunity to take note of what the organization is capable of doing and delivering and remind leaders who will want to revert that there's no need to. And I think that's a leadership position for us as a business unit that we've always known was a responsibility, but I don't think we've ever had the opportunity to really be able to drive culture change in a way that it's already been proof pointed and just reminding our organizations what we're capable of doing and what we're capable of delivering it absolutely is going to be game changing for the future. Yeah, absolutely. Really, really fascinating to talk to you both. Unfortunately, we're getting towards the end of today's podcast. I feel like this is a conversation that could probably go on for hours and hours and hours. So maybe we need to do a part two. But I just wanted to just wrap up by saying thank you very, very much to Mark and also to Nikki for your time today. It's been really, really interesting to, to get a little bit of an insight into what your two businesses are doing and, uh, and what the future could look like as well. So just as we wrap up today, you can get this podcast across all of the usual podcast channels. Uh, it's found via iTunes you can get it on Spotify we're on SoundCloud as well if you search for HR on the offensive because it runs off of the HR on the offensive stream you can also find it on the HR Guild website so if you go onto the HR Guild website uh, and then do forward slash um, podcast you'll find all of the podcasts that we've got so we've got some really interesting podcasts around leadership around employee engagement um, uh, there's one that I, I did with uh, Danny Harmer a few weeks ago where she talked about her experiences and she'd only just joined uh, Aviva, you know, eight weeks in, and she and she was she was sitting at home for another eight weeks. So it's been really, really good to talk to you both. Thank you very, very much for coming on. Oh, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Cheers, and we will see you next time. <laughs>